working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hi there, this is Zach Albetta, and today on the podcast Working Drummer, I talk with John Kazillermuth. Uh, my last interview was with Giuliano Mingucci, who is a rock pop drummer and a lifelong Kansas City resident. Uh, but John is a jazz drummer and relatively new to Kansas City, so I thought it would be cool to get the two different perspectives on this great music town. In just a couple short years in Kansas City, uh, John has become a first call drummer for numerous jazz groups, large and small, including the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra and award-winning trumpet player Herman Mahari. John is also in demand as a composer, arranger, and vibraphonist. In this interview, he discusses his college education, which focused heavily on orchestral percussion and marimba, and how that caused him to break mental barriers between different types of music and musicians. Uh, He also talks about what makes the past, present, and future of Kansas City's music scene so special. He has some really sharp philosophical insight about the mental and emotional game of music, which, as we all know, can be just as much of a battle as the business side. Uh, He's a brilliant guy and a great storyteller, so I hope you enjoy my talk with John Kizillermoot. Let's start off by just getting a a sense of what you're up to lately in Kansas City and what's keeping you busy. Sure. Well, uh, it is the place to be right now. (laughs) It's amazing here. I could just go. I'll just like kind of go through the list of projects yeah. that are are currently happening. Yeah. Uh, there's a Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, we play like I don't know, maybe half a dozen concerts or something a year mm-hmm. uh, at the Kaufman Center. Uh, it's really nice. You know, uh, same hall the symphony's playing in. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm playing with uh, a vibraphonist uh, Peter Schlam. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an amazing musician, uh, trumpet player Herman Mahari. Um, he just won the the trumpet competition. Yeah, what was the name of that? Uh, the Caruso something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we were trumpet players, we'd know. Well, yeah, we're drummers. So yeah, yeah. It's big uh, international right. trumpet competition. Yeah, and if you're a trumpet player listening to this podcast, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. Way to way to. Uh, anyway. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, tomorrow, playing uh, with a group called uh, La Fonda All Stars. Uh, it's a pianist, Mark Lowry, mm-hmm. uh, and Juan Carlos from the band Making Movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Carl McComas Reigel is playing bass tomorrow. Uh, and you're amazing. What? What uh, are you? Are you active lately as a composer and arranger? Yeah. Uh, all. I think probably every one of those groups, except for KCJO, uh, KCJO, everything is commissioned. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, all of the other groups that I'm involved in, uh, we do some of like some of my stuff, arrangements and compositions. Uh, I have a trio I'm playing vibes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, it's like every third Tuesday and fifth Thursday, and like a couple other. It's complicated. You just have to look at the calendar. Right. Uh, over at the Green Lady Lounge, uh, basically like. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're, if you can work, like if you are in a position where, uh, you're valuable here, uh, you pretty much work as much as you're interested in working. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Mm-hmm. You know, that was uh, my impression of the scene when I lived here. It's, it's yeah. kind of a, there's, there's room for everybody. And if someone shows up who is, 
you know, worth playing with, yeah, work will be created to <coughs> yeah. to play with that person. Absolutely, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, so you are in, uh, you grew up in Chicago. Well, I was born in Chicago, uh, and then moved to Detroit and lived in like uh, uh, Detroit and surrounding suburbs, Plymouth, Livonia, Northville. Uh, and then I went to high school in Des Moines, uh, and uh, did my undergrad at Northwest Missouri State in Maryville, Missouri. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, after that, I went to the University of Texas uh, and lived in Austin for a long time, uh, and then started teaching. Um, and I've been uh, adjunct at various colleges, uh, Grinnell uh, Drake University, mm-hmm. a bunch of places uh, mm-hmm. over the last 12 years, uh, and only recently stopped doing that uh, when we moved here. Right. So, um, so talk a little bit about your your musical upbringing. How how sure. and when did the drums start? Uh, probably, you know, it's probably always. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere there's a picture of uh, me as like a little baby destroying the house <laughs> with a you know like a spoon and whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but. I, I don't remember a time that uh, it wasn't on my mind. Do you remember? You know? Do you remember a time when you decided this is what I want to do for a living? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, for some reason, that's always stuck with me, uh, and I don't know why. You know, who knows why you remember what you remember? But mm-hmm. I was in the seventh grade. I was at my grandma's house, and I was about to mow the lawn, <laughs> and I was just like thinking about life and. Uh, 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 I was thinking that, like, man, it's my favorite thing to do, to play music. I wish that I could just do that. And then, like, some other part of me was like, well, why don't you just do that? Yeah. And I was like, that's a great idea. Self. <laughs> nice work. Let's mow this lawn. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, like, that's just a real vivid memory. I don't know why. Uh, just because, you know. Yeah. So we, we all have uh, we all have idols as drummers and musicians, you mm-hmm. know, people people that we emulate and look up to on the cover of Modern Drummer or whatever. But when you were in seventh grade and you decided that you wanted to be a musician for a living, did you have a role model close to you who you could look at and not a person, no. Uh, uh, I don't know why like uh, why do people like the things that they like? Mm-hmm. You know? Like uh, uh, why does someone that wants to be a musician, why do you want to be a musician? What's making, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and I, you know, you could, you could make the argument that maybe it's some important, you know, cosmic whatever, or you could just be like, you know, maybe you heard a, a band somewhere that you liked and, right. and it opened you up. I didn't have anybody in particular. Uh, there was a track, um, uh, I'm kind of showing my age here, but uh, there was a track on this uh, cassette that I had gotten at a garage sale. I had some cassettes. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was uh, Physical Graffiti, that Zeppelin record. Mm-hmm. And the uh, it's like the second track or something on the B-side called In My Time of Dying. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the first time I heard that, like, I just like ran to the basement and put headphones on and play that song like a million, million, million times and spent the whole summer uh, playing along with that record. And then I tried to like learn every single Led Zeppelin, everything that there was. Yeah. Uh, and like invented this crazy, like totally undependable little recording system where like sound would come out of one tape deck 
and then like I had the like a <clears throat> microphone like alligator clipped to some garbage <laughs> mixed with that and would go into the other tape deck and yeah. like uh, half the time it didn't work but like uh, it was like that and so I'll, right away you were recording was trying stuff. to yeah. Yeah. yeah just because uh, I, I wasn't trying to like uh, be pedagogical mm-hmm. at all I just like wanted to hear myself playing the song right, you know right. Uh, I had like lava lamps and Christmas lights and everything <laughs> down there it was like a whole scene my yeah. poor grandma uh, and uh, I would just like run home from school every day wow uh, and just like blaze down there as soon as I could and turn off all the lights, power up the lava lamps and like yeah. start recording songs and listen back to it. Right. And I would just like do take after take and pretty soon I would be like, Man, I wore this tape out, I gotta go get a new one. Right. And uh So at, at what point did it become pedagogical and like at what point did you say I have to work on this skill and this style and was that not till college? Yeah, college. Yeah. You know, uh in high school there wasn't really I mean, I played, uh, uh, for some reason, I ended up in some actual bands. Like, uh, you know, I was like 17 and playing with, with uh, like, some just regular musicians around town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we had a gig every, it was like every Thursday and Friday at this club called the Five Satins in Ankeny, Iowa. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and the guy that owned this club was, uh, like, in that band, the Five Satins. Uh, and uh, they did like in the still in the night, I think, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like you know? a cover band. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he was in the actual the original band. Oh, the club oh, owner was okay. Uh, and why he's in Ankeny was who right. knows. But we had this gig there, uh, and uh, at that time I was like, "Well, this is it, man. I made it." <laughs> you know, I was just like, this is, "I'm already. I'm playing drums yeah, in front of people. Yeah, this is it. Good to go. I just need an apartment. That's all I need." <laughs> and. Uh, uh, that was all. I wasn't going to go to college or anything. Uh, I was like perfectly content to just play uh, Thursday and Friday nights in this bar with the band I was in. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but uh, it was my friend Jason and this guitarist Scott that was, you know, really good. Uh, and uh, Jimmy loved us, mm-hmm. and his wife hated us. <laughs> she really, really hated us. I think we were crazy loud. And, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I remember just like hitting the drums as hard as I could mm-hmm. always, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like my neck would hurt sometimes at the end of the night, you know. It's like, not good technique. No, probably not the best <laughs> technique. Uh, it was like all passion, uh, pure tendon damage. Right, but, right. Uh, so how did, how did you make the transition from well, that we, to... Yeah, yeah, we lost the gig. Uh, she came in one night. Uh, this is kind of an epic story. Uh, this is why I went to college. <laughs> That's great. Uh, she came in one night, uh, and it was a busy night, and she was a very big lady, uh, and she was absolutely just drunk, mm-hmm. completely just hosed. And uh, she was yelling something at us, but we couldn't hear her because we're too loud and don't. Uh, we probably didn't care anyway. Uh, but she kind of walked up to the stage, and I remember that she had a martini, Right, I didn't know what it was yet, but I remember the shape of the glass, right. you know. Uh, and uh, she uh, came up to me 
and like motioned to me like with the martini glass to like come come over to her while we're playing the song and there's just like martini like flying all over everything uh, and I was completely unprepared to deal with that situation I had yeah. never like this is like the first set of gigs I've ever had in my life and I'm already like in a pretty complex situation right. you know because it's a club owner's wife so uh, I chose to handle that situation by pretending that it wasn't happening. <laughs> I just like kept right on going, you know. Uh, and she went over to uh, the bass player Jason and uh, did the same thing to him. And he kind of leaned down to her to uh, you know like to see if he could hear her. And she just like really violently pulled him off of the stage, and he like fell. And it was crazy. Uh, and then it just like there was police involved and it was insane. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea how to handle any. I was sitting in a police car at one point. Wow. You know, nothing happened. We didn't get arrested or anything. And, we, and nobody did anything except for that moment. Right. But And you're what, uh, like 17? Yeah, I was probably 17. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I don't think I had, I think I was lying to my mom about where I was even, you know, I was just right. a kid right. and it was a bar. I don't know how that, it was another time, you know, yeah. it didn't, it didn't matter as much, but, uh, so we lost that gig and then, uh, uh, I just like went to school and worked at little Caesars and I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> Sucks. I need to go to college for right, sure. Right. And so uh, uh, I hadn't even thought about where to go to college. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even a plan. Uh, but this guy Al Circle, that was director of bands at Northwest Missouri State, had recruited me, and I still had his card. So that's how I ended up at college there. It was amazing. I got incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the truth. I mean, I feel like people say that all the time. Like, oh, I was so lucky. But, like, uh, these are the people that happened to be coming through Northwest. Like, I had I had uh, Al, who is uh, one of the greatest music educators alive on the planet. He mm-hmm. really is. A lot of people will tell you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've stood in front of a lot of conductors, and uh, everything that he's ever said to me has, like, stood the test of time completely. Mm-hmm. You know, he's fully legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he resigned from teaching percussion uh, at the end of my freshman year because uh, uh, marimba, like that instrument, had advanced beyond what he felt like he was capable of teaching. Right. And so he was like, I have to get somebody else. So he got Kevin Bobo. Wow. Who grew up in Maryville and was teaching at Wichita State. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like, you know, it was like, hi, I'm Kevin. Uh, let's teach you how to hold four mallets. Right. You know, is like he that. Still at, is he still at KU? Now? No, he's at Indiana now. Okay. Okay. You know, cool. uh, and uh, uh, he was an incredible teacher and just like an awesome human being. And it's like uh, uh, his marimba playing is just not human at all. So let me know? stop you and, and, yeah. and get into this marimba stuff because yeah. I had a similar experience. Okay. Where, like you fall in love with a drum set in mm-hmm. high school and you decide to go to college and you get to college and and it's marimba, timpani, orchestral percussion, yeah. four mallet solos, yeah. all that business. Mm-hmm. So what was did did you know that's what it was going to be like in college? Like did you No, I had memorized a xylophone solo in high school. Mm-hmm. Like uh I remember like every single note was like okay, every good boy does fine number sign sharp. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, you know, note by note, and I just memorized it. 
Uh, and <clears throat> honestly, like I, that's the level of ignorance that I, I had. I was like, well, I'm good to go. I know one, <laughs> you know, it was like, what else? Why do you want me to learn another one? I can right. play this one. It'll be right. fine. Uh, and, uh, uh, Al was amazing. Uh, he just like set me straight in about like probably 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had assigned some material. Uh, it was like, I think it was like Goldenberg, you yeah. know, uh, uh, with Morris, you know, on the front, like right, right. hunchbacked over a <laughs> set of Deegan song bells, right? You know, right? And uh, uh, a Cerrone tune, neither of which I looked at because I was like, I'm so talented, I really don't need to practice. <laughs> it's not going to be a thing. I'll just check this out in the morning. And uh, I was like, man, there's so many notes on this mallet, you know, solo, uh, and. Uh, uh, it was the I don't remember which Cerrone it is it was, but it was like doesn't matter. They're it doesn't all pretty, matter. Yeah, all you should hairy. you should probably maybe check them out, <laughs> you know, before your lesson. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I tried to bullshit my way through like uh, the snare drum solo, and he definitely knew, yeah, you know, but he sort of let me slide a little bit on it, yeah, uh, only to see what he was doing was to see how far I was going to try and take the lie. That's what he was doing, right? So uh, we start. I start trying to play this uh, uh, etude out of the Goldenberg book, and he stops me right away, and he's like, "Well, you're in the wrong octave." And I was like, "Oh, my bad." And uh, uh, he just like closed the door, you know? Yeah. And was like, "Look, John." I'm the director of bands at this university. I have an incredibly busy schedule, uh, and I've chosen to take an hour of time to help you put your set of skills together so that you can have a life as a musician and blah, 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 and all this heavy, heavy stuff, mm-hmm. which is true. He's mm-hmm. doing all of that, and he's like, I'm here for you. And uh, uh, he's like, you have chosen to take that that I'm offering you and instead of like uh, coming to me honestly and all you you've chosen to like lie mm-hmm. and hope that you could you know just like pull the wool over my eyes and uh, he and he was like so intimidating mm-hmm. you know he just had this like he has this presence about him that just uh, like I don't care who you are he'll fold you right you know right and uh, he like slammed his hand down on the uh, the desk and was like uh, you have no right to think that you could waste my time, an hour of my time on this busy day he was like, I, I was in the middle of uh, score study on blah 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 right. uh, and uh, he's like, how dare you <laughs> and I was just like, holy shit yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I had no, I was just like and he was like, get a planner Schedule your practice time in the planner and get your act together or get out of my school. Wow. That was like week one. Right. You know, that's it. And he just walked out and slammed the door behind him. And then I just like stood in there for the rest of the hour, I think, just going like, oh my God, I'm way over my head. Yeah. And every week uh, he stood in there behind me, you know, like shouting. Uh, you know, F sharp, secondary dominant. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Think about the key signature. Right. Uh, and 
just like guided me through all of that stuff for yeah. a year. Yeah. And uh, if you really work hard, a year of practice is pretty heavy. Yeah. You know, and I caught up to everybody mm-hmm. in a year. You well, know, well. and that's not so much a statement on my abilities, but a statement about like kind of work ethic in general. Right. And a, and good teaching. Right. So what was the the balance between your time on on the orchestral thing and the time on the drum set? Um, and I, I assume that most of your drum set time in college was jazz. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I played in a band uh, in college, uh, well, a couple of different ones, but uh, nothing too serious. Uh, but uh, I got real serious about uh, the marimba. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, uh, I played piano you know, for fun as a kid. I took piano lessons for a while and then I quit and, uh, uh, my grandma had a piano in the house and like, I would just sit at the piano, mm-hmm. you know, every day for a while. Uh, and so I had like, you know, I had sound in my head, but, uh, hadn't, didn't have any real practical application for it. And the marimba turned into like a voice for that sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially studying with Kevin, yeah. like, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, one of those summers, uh, I ended up marching drum corps. I was in the front ensemble with the Colts, oh, wow, cool. uh, in 1999. Dude, I was, I marched, I was, uh, I didn't march, but yeah. I played timpani for blue nights in 99. Awesome. Wow. What? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that we probably had some experience with each yeah, other. I, would, I, I shared would shows out. and everything. I hung out with the Colts timpanist all the time. I don't know. Todd. Yeah. Yeah. I, timpani Todd with the 10 inch tongue. <laughs> Wow, man, small world. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Cool. Uh, So Jerry Carpenter was teaching at the Colts at that time, uh, and uh, I tried out for the snare line and uh, made it to the, it was like the last camp, and Mm. I was still hanging in the snare line, uh, and he came up and cut me, Mm. and I was furious, and he was like, this is not where you need to be. Uh, he's like, I need, I need you to be in the front ensemble, and it's better for you anyway. And I was like, bullshit, it's better for me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, at that time, I I thought that like being in the front ensemble, like that's where, like you know, if you have a learning disability and can't understand how to march drill, then you go to the front. Ensemble. That's really what I thought. Right. You know. Right. And uh, he was like, take it or leave it. Mm. And uh, I really wanted to march drum corps, so I took it. And for a couple of weeks, it sucked. Uh, but uh, uh, Jerry is amazing. Yeah, he's one of the most amazing musicians I've ever met. Yeah, and I spent every day, all day, with him for a whole summer. You know, I mean, again, talk about lucky. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and we obviously did all of the, you know, everything you do in drum corps, all the technical stuff, and uh, the show was like. Uh, it was, it was brutal, but we, I didn't know that it was brutal. Like, I just thought that that's, I really didn't know that much about drum corps. I just thought that's what we did. Yeah. Uh, but we just basically played 16th notes for 15 minutes. You know, it was just like runs and, uh, we kept like, they kept getting more and more serious, you know? Uh, and it was great. And then at the same time, uh, after shows, uh, my friend Dan and I, uh, would like just go back to the truck and like shed, you know, uh, we didn't have to go to retreats. Mm-hmm. So that was like another two hours of shed time. Right. Uh, and sometimes Jerry would come by 
uh, if he didn't, if he wasn't going to the retreat either. And like, you know, I learned orchestral excerpts that summer Yeah. and, uh, uh, he taught me how to play two five ones in major and minor. And right. it was just like, right. you know, I learned so much from that guy that summer. It was incredible. Yeah. So at one point I was not going to play drums anymore. Hmm. Uh, I had, I thought about, uh, I was still playing in this band and still playing in the jazz band and everything, but I pretty much quit practicing because mm-hmm. Marimba was taking up so much time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was starting to get into the vibes a little bit. And uh, I was just like, why don't I just leave the drums where they're at? It's fine. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not shitty. Right. It's good enough to get by. Right. And then it, it like, you know, I can make a choice. Uh, and the problem was, is that I couldn't, let anything go like in my heart i just could not stop playing drums yeah it would not go away Mm -hmm. and uh then it was like well man i i don't have enough time to deal with this i mean that turns into like uh when i was trying first trying to start to work uh, a little bit in kansas city when i was an undergrad um it was like almost the entire day around classes, you know, waking to sleeping was shedding something. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because, uh, it wasn't because I'm like incredibly motivated or, you know, have like lofty goals. It was just like, there's that much shit to do if you're trying to do all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I'd come into the music building at like 6am and be shedding timpani, uh, and then play marimba from like eight to 11 and then go to some classes and, uh, then I would be drumming like for a couple hours over lunch and have mm-hmm. some more classes and rehearsals. Then we have some marching band rehearsal and then I would like shed all three, whatever, you know, everything again yeah. until like 11 or, or midnight or yeah. something every day. I uh, think this is, this is a, a pr- I don't know if it's a problem, yeah. but it's an experience that a lot of college drummers and percussionists have mm-hmm. because they, you it, you got so many balls to keep in the air. You mm-hmm. got your you know your solo marimba stuff. You got your orchestral stuff. You got your drum set stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and often those two those things are dominated or or um, you know overseen by different departments. Yeah. So you've got your yeah. percussion professor mm-hmm. breathing down your neck about your your solo marimba stuff. You've got orchestral conductors breathing down your neck about the excerpts. And you've got jazz band directors and yeah. your drum set teacher or whoever. Um, so did did something give? Uh, no, it doesn't have to. I'm, I mean, what probably gave was that, like, uh, uh, I probably was less active socially. Probably. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I yeah. was, like, I had a few girlfriends, and uh, I definitely partied way too much. Uh, but uh, I did turn down a lot of stuff. There's one thing that I really, really regret. Uh uh, one of the bands that I played in in high school, uh, they kept going with a different drummer and uh, uh, somehow ended up with this tour of Japan and China. Wow. Um, and it was going to be like a month and it was this huge deal. And Jeremiah had called and was like, man, come back and do this tour with us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't. I'm playing timpani in the all collegiate orchestra. And I mean, like, you know, if you're like people listening to this right now, you're just like, what? You know, that's how I, I, I know. Like, 
it was terrible. That's I was just like, how how can I pass it up? What do I do? You right. know? And I was like, well, I just have to choose. And it may it seemed to me at that time like missing an opportunity to to be the timpanist in a in like an all college orchestra was a really regrettable thing to do. Mm-hmm. And touring China with a, a band that I used to play in was like, well, who cares about that? <laughs> and now, like looking back on it, it's definitely, definitely the exact opposite of that. Yeah. You know, I really regret uh, not doing all that. And that's one of the problems of like uh, being completely nested in that environment. You can really lose touch uh, with reality. Mm-hmm. You know, if the if the music building turns into the universe that you live in, yep. then uh, it's, it's pretty easy to lose sight of what's mm-hmm. going on. And uh, you definitely have to find a way uh, everybody should try to find a way to keep their life in balance with activities that are not musical. You I know, could not agree more. Yeah, uh, I I wish that I had done that. But um, in terms of what has to give, I mean, nothing has to give. What gave for me eventually was marimba, mm-hmm. uh, but only because my hands were a disaster. Yeah, um, I had been roofing in some of the summers. Uh, to help pay for college, and mm-hmm. I ended up with tendonitis and uh, uh, the beginnings of like carpal tunnel yeah. from roofing. And then I'm trying to play uh, like Kevin's Lit, right? Uh, which is like some pretty heavy marimba literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was getting ready for this like national competition and shedding like six hours of crazy marimba every day. Wow! And uh, pretty soon my hands just like folded, right. and uh, I was like numbness and lightning bolts and like mm-hmm. everything and I just had to stop right. like medically yeah right. <laughs> you know over the years you've had a few different teaching gigs yeah um what what do you what do you prioritize in your teaching and what did your collegiate experience uh give you that I mean what are what are some of the things about your collegiate experience that you've kept and you think are important uh and some things that uh, you you don't think your students need to worry so much about? Yeah, sure. Uh, I I've had a like this incredible variety of teachers. You know, uh, after Kevin moved on, uh, Doug Awater started teaching. Yeah, at Northwest. Mm-hmm. So you know that that percussion faculty. You know, Al Sergal, Kevin Bobo, and Doug Awater is arguably comparable to like any that could exist anywhere, yeah. you know, in one place. Mm-hmm. Talk about lucky, mm-hmm. you know, and then add Jerry Carpenter to that list and like a couple others, you know, Todd straight a little bit. Yeah. Like, uh, so, uh, what stuck out to me was that everything is the same. All of music, every kind, every genre, every instrument, all mm-hmm. of it is exactly the same. Uh, the, the lines that define, the boundaries between, you know, what is orchestral music, you know, what is classical music, what is contemporary, blah, 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 blah. All those lines, uh, there is, like, the music itself doesn't respect those lines. Mm-hmm. You can you can put the line wherever you want to put it, but uh, the music doesn't respect it. And I was always involved in music that was, like, on both sides of every line, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there was a there was a day in college that like uh, uh, I had played uh, like I played this rock show with a uh, whatever 
and then uh, played with a Western swing band that weekend. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I thought that music was dumb, and again, I was like totally wrong. Now <laughs> I was just like, man, yeah. she was so hip. Yeah. And I had no idea. Uh, uh, and then I played like I was like in a tuxedo the next day. Uh, playing a, like a wind ensemble gig, mm-hmm. uh, and then we went to like a, a drumline contest. You know, I mean, like the, you just get involved in all these different kinds of music. Yeah, and uh, uh, something that holds people back uh, is the idea of those lines, like being some kind of boundary mm-hmm. that you need to like respect and and stay inside of, like. You know, if you like, if you like dubstep, or or whatever, uh, but you also like, you know, playing in an orchestra. Like, don't tell anybody in the orchestra that you like dubstep. Right. For heaven's sakes, that's something that happens in colleges, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, there it was, even happens physically. Yeah. Right. Because, right. like I said, like the you know the orchestra is segregated in a different part of the building than the jazz yeah. band, and like. Right. Uh, and uh, actually, Doug really helped on on that end because Doug is that way. He he doesn't have any musical boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know. For those listening, we should we should talk a little bit about Doug Allwater. Yeah. He's a, a Kansas City institution master drummer, master teacher. Uh, he's the author of, of several uh, drum set books. Yeah, including essential Latin styles for the drum set, essential essential rock styles for the drum set. Uh, he's the leader and drummer of the Sons of Brazil, which is an amazing Brazilian band. Yeah, uh, he's fluent in Portuguese, um, so he's pretty just, untouchable. Yeah, yeah. And Todd uh, Strait, you mentioned, is yeah. uh, the, been the drummer for uh, Karen Allison for many many years. Yeah, with, with Eldar and Eldar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So there are some there are some cats here. That's <laughs> the truth. Yeah. So I definitely try to push that as much as possible on students that mm-hmm. there are like, uh, there aren't any boundaries, you know? Uh, and I've had students, you know, for example, I had a kid come in with, uh, uh, like, like Chris Adler, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, who's a badass like math core drummer. Right. Lamb of God. Yeah. 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 And, uh, he was like, can you teach me how to play this? And, uh, I was like, well, you better leave it with me. <laughs> I'll, I'll see. Uh, we'll see if I can teach you to play it. Yeah. Uh, and we started working on it. And I was like, man, do you know about Mahavishnu? And he was like, what? And I was like, this, this remind." and I put on, uh, I forget what track it was. And he had never heard Mahavishnu before. And he watched Billy Cobham like on YouTube playing with that band. It was just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know? And that turned into this whole journey for him. And, uh, uh, if he'd have been studying with uh, somebody else, that might not have happened. You know, somebody. The first of all, if he'd have been studying with somebody that uh, is just a, you know, like is a jazz drummer or something that is only interested in that kind of music and thinks it's the most valid thing. Mm-hmm. If you bring a math core song to that guy, he's going to tell you like you're wasting your time to pursue that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or on the flip side, you know, if you're if you're studying with like somebody that. Uh, is only interested in playing metal or, or uh, you know, I don't know, it's something like that, they're not going to widen your stuff anyway. Right. You know? Right. And uh, 
I think that we should be trying to connect everything as much as possible as mm-hmm. opposed to like define it. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of when I was, uh, when I was at UMKC, the, the wind ensemble conductor was uh, Sarah McCoyne, mm-hmm. who is at Texas tech now, I believe, but she was a brilliant conductor. I, I loved playing for her mm-hmm. and we were rehearsing. I don't remember what the piece was, but we were rehearsing a piece and we weren't getting the feel right. The interpretation mm-hmm. wasn't happening right. And she stopped us and she said, this isn't quite right. It needs to be more this, a little less that or whatever. And we tried it again and it still wasn't right. And she stopped us and she said, all music is either song or dance. Right. Which is this. Yeah, dig. And and it it really got me thinking about when, when you boil it down, like what purpose is this music serving? Yeah. Um, it's well so, said. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a cool concept to think of everything as very much the same instead of uh, a separate genre, a separate style, whatever. Well, that also allows you to like whatever you like. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about uh, what brought you to Kansas City. And, you know, you mentioned that you've you've lived in quite a few different places. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, talk about the the history of Kansas City versus what's going on right now. Okay, so, uh, well, I'm married and and I have a seven year old. Um, his name is Evan, and uh, we were living in Des Moines, and uh, I was teaching at Drake University at that time, and uh, my wife was teaching art, and uh, we like. She was teaching in kind of a, like, she was teaching outside of town in sort of a smaller school, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was only one African-American kid in the entire school, and uh, uh, the the other kids were unintentionally offensive to this kid, mm-hmm. and uh, Nic- my wife, Nicole, seemed to be the only person that, like, was aware that that was going on, and she brought it up you know, in the, in the scene that she was in and they were, and they were just like, well, I mean, it's not that big of a deal really. Mm-hmm. And we sort of realized that, uh, uh, like maybe our set of values didn't necessarily line up always with, um, what was happening in some of those places in Des Moines itself. Super hip. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. It's great there. Uh, but, uh, we were thinking about going back to Austin because mm-hmm. Uh, we really loved our time there and it was like, it's a great place to live. Uh, but, uh, uh, she had gotten a job offer in Kansas city and, um, uh, I have some friends, you know, uh, Carl McComas Reichel, the bass player I was talking about and Peter mm-hmm. Schlam and, um, we'd played, uh, I'd played Kansas city a few times and it was always amazing every time I've been here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Carl, I think was the one that said like, man, you should think about Kansas city. Uh, and uh, we came down one weekend and hung out and started looking for places, and it was just like everything took off right away. I, right. I was turning down gigs while, like, the day I was unloading the moving truck. It's really, <laughs> really the truth. Yeah. And uh, uh, this is not because I'm a super badass or something. It's because, like, the scene is amazing. Right. It's really incredible. Right. So... Uh, what sticks out to me the most about the music scene or the jazz scene, particularly in Kansas City, uh, is that everybody seems to just inherently understand what swing is, mm-hmm. what that what that beat is. Yep. And uh, 
it just like gets going on like in a song yeah like a tune that's supposed to swing does yeah and uh that is not the case, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like not. there's, there's, I mean, and you know, just like, just like any other kind of pocket, there's all these different levels, you know. Like sometimes, uh, it's like, well, it's kind of, it's all right, we're doing okay, but right. like here, it's just like, damn, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's valued. Yes. Yeah. I uh, I remember from from my time here. Uh, like you're you're right it was it was never not swinging yeah the only the only thing you had to sort of adjust was the the touch of a certain bass player mm-hmm. or um you know just kind of the the interpretation of the swing yeah everybody you know has their own like I said, their own touch, and mm-hmm. um, I remember playing with a uh, the bassist Gerald Spates, yeah, who has a lighter touch yep. than a lot of bass players. And the first time I played with him, like he was so in the pocket, but because he wasn't pulling so hard, mm-hmm. um, I like I had to adjust. So it's 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 kind of like first world problems in Kansas City, right? Like, you know, you yeah, don't have yeah. to worry about not swinging. Oh, it's the truth. You just have to, yeah. So, and uh, you know. Historically, that's the tradition of music mm-hmm. in Kansas City, and uh, uh, this town is connected to its musical tradition uh, in a way that, like, I've I've never seen that before. I'm not surprised, you know. Kansas City is a pretty historic jazz town, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know, like, okay, for example, we were pl- I was playing uh, uh, like two Tuesdays ago or whatever. Uh, it was the vibes gig at, at Green Lady, mm-hmm. and this guy comes up to me, and is like, uh, "Can you guys play? I could write a book." Just some guy, you know, uh, which is a like a really beautiful standard, mm-hmm. uh, and we can't play because we don't all three know it. Like, right. uh, uh, and the the fact that somebody like came up to me. Uh, on a gig I'm playing Vibes and ask me if I can play a standard that I don't know as opposed to coming up to me and asking if I'm playing a xylophone. Right. Like, the difference <laughs> between those two things, yeah. like, that's pretty deep. Yeah. You know? Uh, and uh, he, I was like, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't know. I Like, I don't know what I wish I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know it now. I actually learned it because of that guy. Right, right. Uh, and then, <clears throat> like, we we went back and forth about what tune and ended up playing uh, uh, I'm Gay Sentimental Over You. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, the general audience, like just people that go to bars where there's live jazz in Kansas City, it's different for them here than it is for audiences like uh, in most of the other places I've been. Mm-hmm. Really, all the other places I've been. Uh, there's something about like uh, this being like the music of this city. Right. You know, so people at a jazz gig in Kansas City are like, oh, yeah, this is what people do here. They play jazz. Right. Right. And they're into it as opposed to like, you know, uh, uh, there's there's people like that in Des Moines, but there are also a lot of people uh, in Des Moines that would come to a gig and be like, what are you guys doing right mm-hmm. now? What is what kind of music is that? <laughs> you know, or like, uh, is that a cello? Right. You know, <laughs> right. Just weird, sort of like uh, uh, cultural, culturally exposing questions. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's the opposite here. It's amazing. Right. So, so in, in addition to to being so deeply rooted in its history and its mm-hmm. tradition, 
um, there are many musicians on the scene in Kansas City doing some pretty outlandish shit. Sure. Um, so talk about some of the people who are... Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, that's one of the things that makes it so satisfying to live here is you get like, uh, it's like all of your musical needs are pretty much getting met. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't have the salsa scene that I wish we did here, but we will soon. (laughs) Um, Peter Schlamm has a band called electric tanks and I am not in that band, but I highly recommend going to see that band. It is one of the greatest things that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and, uh, it is a, like what genre of music is that? I really don't give a shit at all. It's amazing. Just go and see it. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Lee is the drummer on that. And yeah. he's like one of the most talented human he's beings. Just bonkers. Yeah. I had to like rebuild myself emotionally. The last time I saw that <laughs> show, I was just like, man, what am I doing? Yeah. Why try? Why continue? Yeah. And then the next day you're just like, no, it's going to be, all it's right. going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can play. Right. But, uh, uh, it's like that, you know, I, we did, uh, uh, Jeff Harshbarger put together uh, a performance of John Zorn's Cobra. Wow. Uh, Jeff Harshbarger is a, a long resident yeah, yeah. bassist in Kansas City. Uh, and uh, there was like, I think there was like 15 of us that did that. Wow. Uh, and if you don't know about Cobra, uh, you should just t- you know type that into YouTube. There's mm-hmm. no reason for me to describe it. Yeah. It's better experienced. Uh, you know, so that's happening at the same time that you're playing like uh, you know, New Orleans jazz, Kansas City jazz, like right. every every Blues. like yeah, it's all like all of it is happening, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, people are receptive to all of it. Uh, I wish that we had more. Uh, like I said, I, I wish we had more of a salsa scene, but mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that we you know eventually will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best Brazilian jazz I've ever heard in my life. Yep. Honest to God, New York, everywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere that I've ever been, I've never heard a band that stands up to the Sons of Brazil. Yep, it is just like yeah. unbelievable, and just the most unassuming-looking white yeah. dudes you've ever seen. Sure, and they just get up there, yeah, and yeah. murder it. Yeah, really amazing. Yeah. Yep, and Doug is a big part of that. I mean, uh, anybody listening to this, you really should check Doug Awater out. Yeah. Uh, that's a u w a r t e r. Yeah, he's got a website. It's just his name mm-hmm. dot com, and mm-hmm. you can find all that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So, and that that speaks to what you were saying earlier about you know there there not being any boundaries, any mm-hmm. real boundaries between music, and I think Kansas City really embraces so much different music. They don't they don't think of it as all different music. They think of it as this is Kansas City's music. This is all our music. Yeah, this is the soundtrack of the city. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not really part of it, but Kansas City has a huge hip hop scene too. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the musicians involved in that play jazz are in that scene mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, Ryan you know? and and yeah. Herman and uh, yeah, for sure. Um, well, John, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, man. Thanks um, for having me. People want to check you out. Uh, they can find you on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Spell your spell your last name for uh, us. SoundCloud forward slash J-O-H-N-K-I-Z-I-L-A-R-M-U-T. I love that talk with John. He really knows what's important to him as a musician and articulates it clearly and often hilariously. Uh, He has lots of tracks there on SoundCloud of him playing drums, vibes, and percussion. 
I would particularly recommend checking out the tune If I Were a Bell, which is a live cut from a performance in Kansas City and features John on drums, along with uh, Carl McComas Reichel on bass, Peter Schlam on vibes, and Herman Mahari on trumpet. All Kansas City musicians, all world class. Uh, John is featured on the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra's recently released album, Rhapsody, which is available on CD Baby or at kcjazzorchestra.com. I also encourage you to learn more about Doug Allwater, who has been a, a mentor to both John and I, as well as many other musicians in and around the Kansas City area. Um, you can check out dougallwater.com. Again, his name is spelled D-O-U-G. A-U-W-A-R-T-E-R and uh, I also wrote an article about Doug for the website onlinedrummer.com a couple years back so there's a link to that on the page for this interview if you want to check that out Uh, once again give a listen to the other podcasts on the Merge Network Drummer's Resource Podcast with Nick Ruffini and the Daniel Glass Podcast and as always thanks for listening to Working Drummer